everyone. Welcome to the Gibbs Spotlight. My name is Christy Saliba, and I am a communications intern here at the Gibbs College of Architecture. Today, we have a really special guest, Erica Williams, an alumni of Gibbs College. Back from when it wasn't even called Gibbs College. Thank you, Erica, for joining us. Would you like to say a couple words about yourself? Sure. Uh, as Christy just said, my name's Erica Williams. I'm calling in today from Seattle, Washington. I am an associate right now at Olsen Kundig Architects, a job that I absolutely love and am excited to talk about. But back uh, at my University of Oklahoma days, I got my Bachelor of Architecture and graduated 2019. Went on to get a master at Rice right after that and then have been really loving practicing since then. The other part of my life is I'm, I'm a mom with a kid, but we'll focus on the architecture today. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I'd love to hear more about how you ended up at Elton Kundig. Sure. So it was a long path for sure. I've been at Olsen Kundig for seven years now. It's been a really great experience. And my career in general, I will say it's been uh, almost kind of unfair. It's been so great. I've never worked anywhere and I've been really excited about. I think that partially speaks to the profession and how many amazing opportunities out there. And it partially speaks to just some really great luck with, with timing and circumstance. And I, I think the timing and circumstance is the part that is probably interesting to talk about because that started at University of Oklahoma. So I was an undergrad student there. When I started architecture school, I had no idea what to do when I grew up. I chose architecture at complete random. I mean, it was like a pin the tail on the donkey decision. Everybody around me knew what they wanted to be. All my friends were doctors and lawyers. And I was like, I kind of like to draw and I'm good at math. So just chose architecture. I'd never really met an architect. But once I got in there, I, I loved it. And it took like one week of studio to just know that this, this is right. And this felt good. And this was going to be really hard work. But hard isn't bad. Hard can be fun. And I just lived in that, you know, since I was 18 and made that funny choice. And then a funny thing happened while I was at OU. And I don't know if you still have the series, but there was the Bruce Goff lecture series. Um, and it, it was fantastic. They brought in the, the most incredible lineup of famous architects, people that we were really inspired by. The school did a great job of kind of finding these, these nugget architects who they gave, they gave us an array of different kinds of people to model after or learn from or say, right, that's not who I want to be when I grow up, a good job or, you know, the latter. So anyway, it was just this, this really fun thing. And part of the deal was, though, if you were going to come lecture at OU, you were also going to spend time with the students. And so there was uh, a workshop surrounding the lecture series where anyone who came in spent a few days with a group of students, you know, on just a, a mini project. And one of the architects who came through was a, a very famous architect at the time. He's, he's 85 now. So things, you know, he's, his practice is, is different. But at that time, he, he had his practice full on and was doing big, super exciting things. I, I still am a huge fan of his work. He comes through, he gives this killer lecture. Everybody's in awe and inspired by um, the possibilities. And uh, I, I got to be part of the workshop. So we jump into the workshop and he fills the tables 
with with cheap crap from Hobby Lobby. And uh, it's everything from like twigs he found on the ground, to, like little foam rollers, just stuff. And then he puts up this huge sheet of paper that covers the wall and he just starts drawing the seed in New Mexico. And it's just this heartbreakingly beautiful drawing because he's just doing it and he's he's got a lot of gusto. So he made it fun. And he does just all this color and he's telling us about this site. And he's like, and you need to design something that works with this. So then we're terrified, you know, because we're just a group of students and he's the famous architect and he just did this beautiful drawing and we're supposed to just like that's our thing on there. But probably one of the best things I've got going for me is I, I can be extremely naive. And with that comes a, comes a confidence that probably wouldn't be there if I was more aware. And so I, I still didn't quite understand how famous he was or what a big deal he was. So I just stepped up and started drawing. And it probably appeared gutsy, but it was more naive. And we hit it off. And we started this, this kind of relationship where this design dialogue that lasted four days. And um, that's kind of my, my favorite little ditty I did at OU was just being able to step up and have dialogue with this person. And OU gave me that gateway and that, that connection. And, you know, it was like a week later, I got a call from Antoine and he said, you know, let's keep this going. Come intern for me. And I was like, whoa, you know, so um, at that time I had been interning for uh, Bacchus Payne in Oklahoma City. And, and that was, that was great. And they taught me so much just about, about really just the basic skills of getting in there and being in a work environment and what it is to be an architect. And I'm grateful to them for that. Um, and then, and then when Antoine called, I was like, I, I got to try this. So I'm someone who never even thought I'd leave Oklahoma. I have a wonderful family there that I love being close to. Uh, and then I was off to New Mexico. So I spent um, over about four years uh, summer breaks, winter breaks. At one point, he flew me a computer and I did a rendering while I was at school at OU. So anytime I wasn't in school, I was with Antoine um, being an intern. And um, so that was kind of the beginning of a path that went a totally different direction than anything I would have imagined. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, I, it's so inspiring. Just one moment just changed your whole career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it was just, um, it was a genuine connection. It wasn't planned. You know, it was just, there was a spark of the design dialogue. And, you know, I'm super thankful to OU for creating a moment that I could step into there. Then Antoine took a chance on me. He had a small studio of 12. So I was able to be really in there and get to know the staff. And then that made getting into grad school pretty easy because I had my undergrad from architecture, but I also had, you know, a famous architect vouching for me doesn't hurt. He recommended Rice because he had had some people working there who, who had really good experience at that school and, and he liked kind of what they taught. So that was a natural progression. And it was 2008, 2009 era. So that was a weird time to graduate, but it, it didn't really hurt for me. I, it hurt a lot in general, but I was kind of able to ride through school with that. And then, you know, kind of the, the next funny thing that happened is while I was at Rice, I uh, did this design build workshop and uh, it's called the Ghost uh, Brian McKay Lyons 
uh, workshop. And I don't think they have them right now, but they had about 11 or 12. And they're this amazing opportunity where pretty uh, famous architect in Canada has a huge swath of land in Nova Scotia, right on the water. It's, It's gorgeous. And he had student groups come in from all over the world. And then he cultivated a group of architects, friends, structural engineer, builders, people who do some really great stuff. And he kind of put together this group, curated this group, and every year had them design and build something in two weeks. And and the catch is, the Brian McCain's this is his land. He lives on this property. So he better like what's built because it's there. He's got to live with it. So um, no pressure. And I, I was, I've been tracking um, this workshop since OU because one of my professors at OU uh, showed me pictures of it one day when I was in doing a charrette. He, he was referencing one of these little shacks that a group had done. And so since then, I just kind of always watched it and thought, that's so cool. And then I saw a call for applications one day and I was like, ooh. So I, I put mine in, but, but the problem was it's incredibly expensive and I had no money. And so I just did it anyway, because I wanted to see, could I even get in? And, and I did, um, which was, again, me being naive and unexpected. And uh, so then suddenly I had this opportunity, but I, I didn't have any means to actually make it happen. So I went to the dean at Rice with a roster of everybody who got in and what school they represented. And they represented, you know, Yale, Harvard, UC Boulder, really, really nice. So I said, do you want our school to be on this list? Because I I need some money. (laughs) And all of a sudden, a grant fell from the sky, and I got to go. The significant thing about this workshop for me, the reason I'm telling this story, is because the people I met in that workshop uh, set up my career from that point. I met a builder in Seattle who I worked for and is dear friends with Tom Kundig, who I work for now. I met a couple architects here in Seattle that I connect with regularly who are way more important than I'll ever be. I met some craftsmen and tradespeople who I email on a daily basis asking how to detail some really fun R&D steel or a new exercise. And I met friends. And the funny thing is that group of students, I seem to work with on and off my entire career. We just so we cycle together. Before I know it, one of them is interviewing at Olsen Kundig next week, and I can't wait if they join the office I'm at. So, you know, what's funny is that as a student, you look around and you think these people are just the phase of my life. You don't look around and realize these are the people I'm going to meet over and over and over again throughout my career. And that workshop kind of introduced me to a group that I've been re-meeting and, and circulating with for over a decade. And so that kind of dovetails into, I got a job in Texas at Lake Slato right after that workshop. Part of it was the workshop helped with the connections, was, was a big deal in getting a job at that, that time was really hard. Then later when I was ready to make a life change, I moved to Seattle based on a connection from that workshop. And, and eventually it just worked its way until Kundig where I've been. I love that. That's amazing. It sounds like you have wonderful luck with workshops. Yeah, it's about people. It's about connecting with people. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I love that you focused on that. Do you have any advice for students now who 
because of the pandemic are kind of stuck inside and are not really able to meet people as often as usual? The pandemic is hard, right? It's, it's a funky problem and it's like a really long short-term problem. So I, I guess one piece of advice is that, you know, this isn't, this isn't forever and you don't have to be in such a hurry in a sense. I know as a student, I was always trying to get things through things quickly. If anyone mentioned that like my graduation date would slip because I wanted to take an opportunity or anything like that, I was like, never. Whereas now I look back and like, why did that matter? In the big picture, being in such a hurry really doesn't, things will play out and it takes time to figure out where you want to be and what you want to do. And coming back to your question about kind of pandemic communication, I think what I'm trying to say is some of it is this problem is seeming to recede and people are going back to work and people are starting to see each other. And so maybe a little bit of patience because in, you know, an online dialogue, it's good. And we've discovered really creative substitutes, but there is something about in-person that is to me cannot be replaced. And there's something about going and touring an office and shaking hands or not, we're just waving because hygiene right now, but there's something about seeing people and connecting in person. And so I guess my advice would just be patient. You'll get a lot of that face time. This is, this is temporary. That's wonderful. Thank you. So I'd love to shift over to like projects you're working on now. You are at Olsen Kundig and what is that like for you? I love it. So Olsen Kundig is large. It's a 200 person office in Seattle. Now out of that, you know, it's, it's about 60% or so are actually architects because we have an interior design department. We have an R&B department. We have, you know, all the, all the support that makes our projects happen. But it's, it's got six principles and a large group of leadership. We get amazing range of work. We have everything from residential to commercial, and then there's range within that work. Residential could be a, a tiny, super cool cabin in the woods, or it could be somebody's large forever home. And then in commercial, wow, that range is even more extreme. So part of what I love about being there is just the potential and possibility feels alive. Um, I jump from one project to the next and they could be completely different experiences with a different set of people, a different client perspective, a different design criteria. So I, I do kind of love that it never feels stagnant. I'm, I'm never stuck. I'm never doing the same thing twice. I'm hopefully learning and building from projects, but it's, it's always an, a new project when, when, it, when it hits the desk. So I love that. And in my day there, um, we have recently started going back to work and we love this studio. Our studio is really kind of an incubator of ideas. And if anyone has the opportunity to get out up to Seattle and visit it uh, post-pandemic, it's I, I think it's really lovely. It's full of big gizmos and moving window walls. And, and we try to make it kind of a showroom for our ideas. There's a, a workshop in back where they're trying, you know, different kinds of things and uh, different kinds of methods uh, that will actually end up challenging the contractor to match and put on a project. So we have like real, real working construction kind of in our studio. And that helps, you know, 
keep us out of our heads that this isn't, we're not just doodling, we're, we're building and we're crafting and we're collaborating with the people who are going to put it together. And I think that's something that sets us apart is that it's a collaborative effort all the way through construction and that we get to work with, you know, p- part of our success is that we're in a location that has with the shipbuilding um, history has unbelievable metal workers, woodworkers, listening to the craftspeople is part of our practice, bringing that in. Um, did I answer your question? I kind of spun off just Olsen Kundig in general. I'm sorry. No, yeah, that was great. Um, are there any like particular projects that you enjoy more or anything you're working on now that you're just really loving? I love them all. I, I have four right now that I'm touching. Yeah, I, it's hard not to fall in love with exciting work. And uh, I, I'm kind of a loyalist. So the one that's been around the longest, I, I just have a little, a little bit more maybe love for, just because I'm, I'm so excited about watching it grow and where it's at now. But generally, I love them all. They're just so, uh, they're each their own animal. And I get to work with different teams and different different people, you know, influence the project and shape it to be a little bit different. So it's fun seeing how people's particular personalities, you know, take one project that, you know, Tom is heading up and it goes one way and then Tom's heading up another one, but it goes a totally different way just because of the design dialogue within the team and the mix of people. And, and that's, I think, something that's important for students to know is that, you know, oftentimes in, in school, you usually get to be the master of the entire design. And then you shift to change uh, in the professional work where if you're at an office like mine and, and there's a, an owner or partner or principal on board, you know, they might take the first whack at the overall gesture but you're still part of the design because you're helping guide the conversation with them. You're helping manage what is focused on. You're, you're taking, you know, a doodle and putting it in front of them and then they're ripping off of it. So I think it's important to know as a student, it's not like um, you design in design school and then in, in practice, you're kind of stuck with this smaller job. No, you're, you're integral. You know, I feel like everyone on my teams gets a, gets a voice and a way to affect the project. So I love them all. I, I think they're all exciting. Amazing. You totally read my mind. I was going to ask you about what similarities or differences to the design process you've noticed between being in school and now at this firm. If there's anything more you want to say about that, I'd love to hear. Um, I, th- I think one is that I'm a forever student. One of the reasons I enjoy Olsen Kuhnvig specifically is because of the amount of experts that I can learn from. So just like at school, you take your crack at something and then you sit down with the person who's done it a lot longer and you learn from that. And every project, you have a whole new understanding of what to consider for the next. That never goes away. That's not just a school thing. I I can't imagine that ever going away. Amazing. What do you think is the most important lesson you've learned over your career so far? Oh, I I don't know. I learn a lesson every day. (laughs) I I have learned not to take myself too seriously, to to have fun with it. I I watch people who who get so intense with what's in front of them. And and yeah, we should all, we should all dive into the project and get lost in it. I, 
I'm a big fan of that. But there, there is a level of knowing when to step back, take a breath, enjoy yourself, and you know, appreciate things because you don't want to get burnt out. And you know, a career is a marathon. It's it's not one. It's not about one project. You know, I have four, so I have a deadline at all times. Right? I always have a client meeting, and I always have a drawing set going out. So the second one's done, it's it's just on to the next. So you know, how do you keep that comfortable and how do you keep rigor and passion? And I think that's knowing when to step back. And that's probably an impossible task for students. I know I absolutely couldn't do it at that time. I I gave every project it's all like it was the only thing. And I, I think that comes with kind of trying and you'll probably fail the first few times, but kind of learning your rhythm of when each person personally needs to take a breath. And uh, when are you helping the project? And when are you exhausted? You know, trying to be fresh. I I remember a mistake made a lot that uh, you can, Chrissy, I don't know if this is still prevalent, but you work and work and work and you work to a deadline, you know, all through the night. And then it's time to present and you are tired. And it is, it is hard to be polished. It is hard to be present. And you forget that all of that work was to get to the presentation and to be polished and to be present and take in what people are saying. And you never want to get to that point and not care anymore or just be just too darn tired to pay attention. So I think a lot, you know, one of my big lessons learned is, you know, not only taking a pause. Uh, for kind of being fresh with design, but also taking a pause before the end and finishing things with enough time to get a good night's sleep and come to it with my whole head around me. And maybe I didn't get to that extra perspective I wanted to do, but I would rather trade that extra drawing that no one actually knew about for having a good delivery. Yeah, that's a really important message to hear. I think a lot of students would relate to that a lot something that's really special about hearing from you is that you are a woman and you have made it so far and you're someone a lot of students look up to. What is it like being a woman in the construction industry? It's still not perfect. I mean, I feel like it's a topic that's not talked about enough. I I love that we're able to touch on it. I, I can give a million examples of times that I'm reminded that I'm a, a woman, or I think to myself, that wouldn't have happened if I was a man. There was a job site that I visited regularly. I flew out and was there 12 hours a day, and there was no bathroom for me to use. That's gross. <laughs> I was at a job, not the one I'm at now, where a new hire started, and um, they were introduced to the team. And they didn't realize that I was the boss. They just assumed I was the intern and they left a bunch of scans on my desk for me to scan. And I had to let them know that that, that wasn't my job. So, and, and there's kind of an age that goes with it. I'm, I'm a girly girl and I have a high voice when I get excited. And um, I've been asked by a client before, hey, what's it, how, are you old enough? What's your age? And I'm sitting there next to a teammate who's two years younger than me that's male. Nobody's asking him that question. I've been asked before by a client if I'm going to have more babies. 
and if that's going to be a problem with their project, then they're part of families that have babies too, and they don't get asked that question. So, you know, all those things still happen. You know, something that we're really proud of at Olson Kundig is we do look at the data. We look at for hiring. We look at how many women we have, how many men we have. We, we look at race and gender and all the things. And we're, sometimes we're over 50% women. So the, the women are present. We're showing up. We're joining offices. I'm seeing more women on construction sites now than I ever did. We are in the industry, but we're still new. It was not 50% 30 years ago. I guarantee that. And because of that, we're still working our way up the ladder and we're still working our way to be in those positions of higher influence. And we're still learning how to lead teams as women, genuine to ourselves, but also just with all the social norms that come with it. So it's a work in progress. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for saying all that. I think now is a wonderful time to wrap it up. Is there any like any advice you could give to prospective students or like anything they should know about architecture that would help them succeed? You know, it's a, it's a beautiful practice. I, I feel so honored to be able to be part of, you know, creating our environment. That's crazy. And, you know, we get to be part of really important conversations, you know, like sustainability or conversations that kind of change the world actually so it's it's a funny balance of being an art but also being a serious tech I think you just got to go in and give it a try and see if it fits you you know try it on get through a studio was was that like a wild fun ride or was that misery because then there's there's other ways to be a part of the construction industry if that didn't fit but you know I, I look at my peer group at at work and we were all people that were fired up at school so I think although there is a big difference in design school and design practice, you still know if, if you fit pretty early on and you still know if you have, you have that passion to really push it into a serious career. I love that. Thank you so, so much for hopping on the Zoom call. I know you're super busy. Just personally, as an architecture student, everything you've done and your whole story is really inspiring and motivating. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks um, so much for taking that. Thanks for listening to the Gibbs Spotlight. Tune in next time to hear more stories from the Gibbs College of Architecture.